episode 85 of This Developing Story. B-Doggy back again with another episode of This Developing Story. And I just want to say, if you're not using Twitter spaces, <laughs> where you at? But for real, now when I first became an engineer roughly about eight years ago, uh, I would have never imagined Twitter still being the place where you can constantly make connections, network to your next job, and now sit and find community. And uh, with these Twitter spaces, I'm finding more and more a way for me to just be aware of other folks who are doing really cool things. Uh, every now and then, I follow this person called Danny Thompson infrequently, uh, but every time he hosts these uh, spaces, I always learn about someone I wasn't even aware of uh, in the engineering or the tech space. And one of these spaces I actually sat in was with Theo Brown. Uh, he was a speaker and he was providing some insight about skateboarding and the correlation to learning how to program and that you just have to jump on the board. And I was so moved by that that I actually created a TikTok video about it. But also I reached out to Theo and was like, heads up, uh, what you said was actually really impactful to me, even eight years into my career. Uh, I'm actually really excited to share this conversation with you. If you are not following me on Twitter already, BDuggyO on Twitter, I host these Twitter spaces once a week. Uh, and this is the result of this. So if you wanna hear the full conversation, you gotta follow me on Twitter, you gotta show up at the space. Uh, if not, you can get the uh, edited version right here. So here we go. To this day, it's still a little surreal to me that two of my favorite things, those being skateboards and computers, are both as popular as they are in one specific place. It's just surreal to me that I can come here and enjoy both as actively as I do. One of my first like interactions with San Francisco was uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, where Embarcadero was actually one of the, the maps. And I didn't have any context on you know the hills and everything else like that, but I learned a lot about <laughs> downtown San Francisco from that one one game. That's really cool. Yeah, I still skateboard at the Embarcadero pretty regularly. The the ferry building right like across yep. the street is my go-to stomping ground, best flat ground in the world. And it's still weird because I'm so used to seeing it in like old Tony Hawk games and skate videos and just being there is strange. I still remember when I first moved to SF and was staying in the Mission and I was like skateboarding to the bus stop for the first time and I skated by like two famous spots that I'd seen in videos before. Yep. And that was just surreal to me because there was like one spot within a 50 mile radius of where I grew up that like I, I could name every skater that hit it. But going somewhere where I couldn't even name the like, like 10 skaters that hit it out of the like 500 plus that have was so crazy to me. So I, I wanted to let's get into, OK, so you, you found Minecraft, you had some downtime, you eventually learned how to code. So like what were you building with Minecraft, uh, that skill set? Yeah, of course. So I have to thank my friends for this one. I was very lucky that my friends were all awful people and did a great job of breaking everything I ever cared about in Minecraft. I could put all this effort into building this beautiful castle or this like huge farm or whatever, and my friends would always find incredibly creative ways to destroy it, which was both incredibly amusing and frustrating for my very invested 15 or so year old self. So I got into hosting Minecraft servers in desperate hopes of having a place that my friends could hang out with me, but not destroy my stuff. At the time I was using HMOD because it was the standard and I had to learn Git so I could get the freshest builds of 
HMOD as they were made and also was using Git to manage my instance of my server so I could have like version control of my world. And I found Git to be an easy way to do that. So I was actually using Git before I was using any like code related stuff. Like when I was 12 or so, I had built a crappy HTML website, but I never really put that time sitting down and solving problems with a we were with code before, but I was using Git actively. I eventually started remote hosting my servers and learned GNU screen in order to manage those background processes and things and was using all these like niche Linux tools before I had learned any code. But eventually, due to a combination of HMOD dying and being overtaken by Bucket and the desire to have more fine-grained controls over who could or couldn't do certain things in my Minecraft world, I got more into the plugin creation side for server plugins and contributed to various plugins like uh, WorldGuard. I just contributed to lots of small uh, Java plugins for Minecraft servers, mostly to make it easier to manage like lots. Oh, Lottie, that's the one I was thinking of. But the goal was mostly simplifying the process of managing different plots of land in Minecraft so people could have an area that was theirs and they could control the permissions for. And that got me into like permissions and what I thought would eventually be security. And that kind of ended up being the path I went down. And my first internship was at Amazon doing security work. Okay. Wow. So yeah, you first started at Amazon, but prior to Twitch? That is correct. Yes, my, it was an internship during my okay. time at university. But yes, okay, excellent, excellent. So, where did um, you've got you got the skill sets eventually? Um, so, where did Twitch come in? Twitch came in after I had finished up at school. My Amazon internship, personally for me, was pretty rough. I didn't. I don't know the right way to put it, like super friendly, but I didn't get the mentorship that I should have as an intern, and was kind of like left to figure things out on a team that hadn't figured things out for themselves yet. So my internship experience was really rough and I'd actually sworn I would never go back to the Amazon family. But one of my friends I had made during that internship, I I guess there was two details. The the first thing that happened was during that internship, I made an open source Chrome extension called Chrome Tana for Windows 10 because this was around when Windows 10 was coming out. There was a really annoying behavior in Windows 10 where you would search using uh, Cortana And it would always search Bing, no matter what. So I wrote a Chrome extension that would redirect it to your default search engine or Google, DuckDuckGo, whatever you chose. And that ended up going viral. And it was my first time like writing viral software outside of the Minecraft world that really like caught on. I ended up getting a bunch of interviews with random groups. Like I I remember specifically when Wall Street Journal hit me up for my opinions on a Microsoft change and how exciting that was to me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that all happened while I was at Amazon. And I was trying my hardest to stay even like remotely focused on the job at hand while I had this open source thing blowing up and my team wasn't helping me at all, which is the point at which I, I kind of decided I want to be more in the full like open source world and less in this like fang corporate world. Yeah. And I had made a close friend through that, uh, Claire Pittman, who was working with me a lot on Chrome Tana and other various projects. She ended up getting the job at Twitch and convinced me that the, specifically the creative team at Twitch, which was the first non-gaming team focused on music, uh, painting, and other interactive media and art, that I would be a good fit there because I like come from the gaming world, but my like heart is truly in art and music. And the possibility of being on a team where I could have this best of both, where I'm at the gaming company working on fun tech, helping artists directly, was too enticing an opportunity, so I took her up on it. And... 
yeah, I wasn't qualified at all. I bombed the whiteboarding. I'm pretty sure the like engineers that I interviewed with were incredibly skeptical of my ability to deliver. But the there are two people in particular. One was ended up being my manager and mentor. The other ended up being the exec for the org. Both really liked my energy. And even though I didn't demonstrate the whiteboarding ability or the technical chops they might have expected, they saw my drive and desire to like solve problems however I could. And they chose to bet on that with a three-month contract to see if I could prove myself. And they ended up extending that another three months because they still weren't sure. But yeah, it took six months for me to prove I was worthy of the full-time role. But they ended up being awesome mentors and helps throughout. And I specifically, that first mentor and manager, I owe dearly. He really got me in the mindset of ignore the like bull crap and just solve the problem in front of you. Like If you have a thing that's causing issues and you can break it down into pieces that you can fix then why are we still talking? Go fix it. Yeah, that, that's actually really good advice too, like right, right there at the end too, uh, where a lot of folks approach problems or ideas and like if you learn how to code, um, when I first started learning how to code like eight, nine years ago, um, I'd meet a lot of folks who are like, I want to learn how to code so I can build the next Facebook. Um, and even at that time, I knew scoping problems into approachable things was always going to like, it was going to go further than than. I want to build the next social network, which shout out to Facebook right now and the hug ops um, and what's going on over there. But hopefully they, they figure those things out. Um, but I guess my point is like building a small thing like Chrome Tana, one, uh, it got a lot of attention. Uh, people were kind of able to understand the story, which is like you, you saw the pain point that everybody was having uh, with defaults um, on Windows 10. And uh, because it, it solved that pain point, you, you saw lots of attention, which... It kind of blows me away too as well. Like at your time at Amazon, uh, no one on the team or anybody who sort of was within the reporting structures like took note of this extension and the attention you were getting? Not particularly. Uh, near the end, I, I know that like my, at the time, manager's manager was somewhat interested and curious. But honestly, I think what happened there more than anything was I got an internship on a team that was about to get reorged. And the yeah. person who was supposed to be my mentor took a one-month vacation two weeks in and then had a, ma- a paternity leave right after that. So oh, I nice. just didn't have a mentor for over half my internship. Got it. And was kind of left to figure that out. I'm also very familiar with like the non-coding content on Twitch as well. Um, sorry, non-gaming content because I, I do, as you know, and most people here as well who are listening know that I, I stream on Twitch uh, technical content. Uh, so it sounds like when you joined Twitch, that was like, was that when the, the Bob Ross era when they were? Yeah, playing? I actually joined on the team that was formed because Bob Ross went better than expected. The The first okay. headcount they got for that team went to me and I ended up rewriting all the code that Bob Ross and the other marathons ran on. That is amazing. It's it's great that I could just say Bob Ross and you know exactly what I'm talking about. For the listeners, when the, Twitch ma- tried to make the um, the switch, not the switch, but add a new category, uh, stream categories, they streamed art like marathons uh, and bob ross was one of them i think there were some other experiments because i remember watching like pokemon there's like a pokemon yeah. marathon the, the first big one after bob ross was power rangers and that was yes. also my first production outage we were using elixir to do the video infra which was a phenomenal language that really gave me my first like quote 10x engineer moment where i i went from feeling like somebody pretending to be a programmer because they had nothing else to do to to really feeling like i could solve problems in that language on those projects and 
yeah, the Power Rangers Marathon crashed when it was transitioning episodes because I used a lowercase p instead of an uppercase p in the Power Rangers <laughs> definition. Uh, rookie mistake. Yeah. And God bless TypeScript. <laughs> that is amazing. And Elixir is like, uh, I know it's still got a, a very strong following, but like the, what the underlying technology Erlang uh, was used for like, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, like stockbroker phones systems. It was used for most connection systems, even way back in the day. Yes. My understanding, which, like, to be clear, I'm not anywhere near enough of a programming like language nerd to fully get this. But the way it was described to me was back in the assembly days, there was different like camps of mind forming around how we should structure code in a human language that we can better understand, and the like the academic side went the C route with MIT. And the like communication side, like in the Bell world, went the Erlang route, more focused on distribution and shared knowledge between nodes when there was still no such thing as a network yet, which meant C was the one that everyone bet on because it made more sense with what they understood. But the strengths of Erlang have shown over time, in particular, like WhatsApp, for example, was acquired with 900 million users and less than nine engineers working on backend. Their entire system was through Erlang. Wow. That's a... Uh... <laughs> That's, I mean, that's still some pretty good insight too. So hopefully, folks <laughs> uh, understand the uh, the level of what you can do and accomplish through Erlang. But um, yeah, also really good insight too as well because I wasn't I wasn't aware that Twitch had any sort of technologies that were using Erlang or maybe they're not using it still. They're no longer, as far as I know, uh, most of the Elixir stuff was sunset. The reason that we were doing it was the speed at which those TV deals were being picked up, and we had in, like an internal team that was me and two other engineers that were managing and writing the code for the majority of those uh, integrations and deals. The problem we ran into was, as it turns out, broadcast television networks have lots of different ways of doing things, increasing, like widely inconsistent, sadly enough. And yeah. the what we discovered is what we were doing wasn't a thing a small team does. It's actually an industry category called broadcast network solutions that is focused on integrating all of these obtuse technologies and using standards to try and turn that into a consumable feed. And three engineers in Elixir was not enough to replace that industry category. So I ended up having what was honestly a fun job of outsourcing my own team to another company that better understood it. But the end result of that was the one team that was agile enough and responsive enough to need something as fast and dynamic as Elixir, we no longer existed. So I got thrown onto a team that was uh, the the video on demand team at Twitch, which was a Golang team, like the vast majority of backend is. And I couldn't Golang. To this day, Like I can write it, I can be productive in it, but I cannot enjoy myself personally while I'm doing it. And I also had a new manager at the time who was a bit of a front-end nerd. And I was very anti-front-end. I had come from like GNU screen and Linux hosting servers. Front-end was a problem I had to solve. It wasn't a thing I went to to enjoy myself. And at the time, Twitch was beginning to start a rewrite from... Uh, it was Ember.js over to React and TypeScript. And my manager sat me down. I was like, Theo, I can clearly see you do not enjoy this Golang thing. Like you're a functional programming nerd. This isn't for you. I get it. But you need to do something. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I honestly think you'll enjoy this new React TypeScript thing. It's different, but give it a shot. I also think that it's going to get more functional in the future. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So now's a good time to get in. Three months later, Hooks got announced and yeah. I haven't looked back. Oh, that's awesome. So that was like, what, 2018? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Excellent. Yeah, it's um, it, it's funny because I've been using Twitch as a consumer for like the entire time you've been you've been I guess associated with it. Um, I'm curious though the. I know, I know you don't work at Twitch anymore, but I'm curious to get your opinion on the sort of non-gaming content and whether it has, like, would you consider it being successful? Do you think it's it's um, like an area that folks should continue to pay attention to? Very good question. I I have a weird perspective in that I was hired at Twitch specifically to be on the team that made that happen. And that team went from creative content quickly to content development and, like, or like broadcast television deals content. So I've seen Twitch's focus shift wildly from, yes, we need artists to be doing all of these things and we need to invest in that to, wait, we can do TV deals. Let's do that instead. So I I don't know where their mind is at any given time. But generally speaking, I know that there's a lot of good people there that care a lot about non-gaming. And if anything, the company's hiring towards and innovating away from like gaming and towards non-gaming stuff. In particular, I know they've been tripling down on music like extra hard lately. Yeah. As for what where their end goal is, the only thing I could say with confidence is they don't know. They are trying to grow wherever there are promising metrics. And if non-gaming content continues to look promising, they'll keep going in that direction. And if it doesn't, then they won't. But the, the company's not dumb they know that their money is in gaming still and they definitely prioritize accordingly yeah yeah it definitely feels that that definitely prioritizing still gaming it feels like i can get latest and greatest and whatever games going to get shipped or even betas that are happening it's a great place to discover that stuff um but also with the new shift to software and game development uh it feels better like when i stream uh as far as like the engagement and uh it's funny because organic growth or organic eyeballs isn't really a thing i feel like on on twitch but i feel like in the software and gaming space i do get the folks that do hang around on that one channel uh and will watch anybody who's who's streaming just software development um so that that's been helpful but i think the benefit there is because it's such such a small category that you do get organic growth and like new community members from that uh but i couldn't imagine like if i was streaming some um i don't know final fantasy 13 and a half or whatever after a couple of years, it's more of like a niche and I don't, I wouldn't see that continue to grow, which not a great example. Cause that's a game, but um, maybe if I was doing watercolors, maybe that's a better example. Yeah, absolutely. Like the key on Twitch will always be discovery, which in my opinion, Twitch has never been particularly strong in compared to platforms like TikTok or YouTube that shove related content in your face in a way that's really compelling. Usually when somebody goes to Twitch, it's because they have something in mind already that they want to watch. And as such, the, the the key is to get them there in a reasonable fashion. So like in coding, if somebody goes to Twitch and they're watching a code streamer and that streamer's done, they want to keep watching code, there's a decent chance they'll find their way to you. For that to happen in something like painting is less likely due to like the more attached nature with an artist, like they're showing up for a specific artist. But that's where something like I'm sure you've noticed with Twitter comes in by building the dedicated audience here. It's very it's I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's relatively strong to engage them on your platform of choice externally. So if you get them deeply engaged on one place, Twitch is a great place to maintain and deepen those relationships further. So. I admit I alluded to it that um, you don't longer work at Twitch. You're working on a whole different thing. 
Uh, can we get into that? Like what, uh, the name of it is round. Is that the actual name of the product? Uh, round is the name of the main product I'm shipping. Yes. But the company is T3 tools. Okay. Yeah. So talk about, uh, I guess now what you're focusing on with three, two T3 tools and what that is. And then we can, yeah, we can get into the round. So when I was at Twitch, I had the really lucky experience of hopping around from team to team quite a bit. I was never on, or I, I was on one team for about a year and a half, but for the most part, I was never in one place longer than a year. And I got to work on a lot of different surfaces and touch a lot of different products. I ended my time at Twitch on the creator team, to be frank, a little disappointed because I was hoping to make more impact there. I firmly believe that creator tools have been overlooked as innovation continues occurring in the live space. It feels like the way that we consume live content, the way we interact, the way that we do things like everything from like channel points to video embeds have improved drastically over the last decade. But the software we actually use to stream feels relatively stagnant and the tools that we use along with it haven't grown much either. I see fun hardware developments like there's the Opal camera or like the stream deck and things like that that make it easier to interface with the software that as it exists. But I don't see very much innovation going on in the software itself. And the result's been a, a, a lackluster feeling as a live creator compared to that of other creators. I like to look at the audio space, for example. And if you take any audio producer that's been doing it for a while and ask them about their favorite software. They're going to give you a loving rant about Ableton or FL Studio or Logic Pro or whatever their software of preference is. They're going to tell you everything they love about it. If you take some uh, video creator that does YouTube videos or does like media for Hollywood and ask them what their favorite software is, they're going to give you a loving rant about Premiere Pro or Final Cut or DaVinci Resolve or whatever their software of choice is. If you ask a, a live streamer what their favorite software is, they're going to complain for two days straight because everything sucks. Yeah, this is this is true, and this is the um, at the current I guess the current state of the the live streaming software. Like, it base am I correct to say it kind of centralizes around OBS, and then people build their skins on top of that? That is correct. Yeah, for those that don't know, OBS is the open broadcast suite. It is an open source piece of software, mostly created by one dude, that is used to capture video and audio from various things, usually on Windows, and or encode those into an H.264 RTMP stream that can be sent out to a platform like Twitch or YouTube to be consumed and distributed live to however many users. OBS has become the uh, necessary piece. I, I don't know how public I can be with numbers, but I can say without question that the vast majority of streamers on a platform like Twitch are using OBS. And as such, it's 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 no longer like an arguable dependency. It's a necessity. And I have nothing against OBS. I think it's incredible what it's done. If anything, my problem with OBS is that most other software in the space doesn't like to acknowledge it and likes to pretend that they can just outright replace it. Something like StreamYard, for example, went out of their way to be an in-browser streaming solution where rather than using OBS, you output from StreamYard directly to your platform of choice, which is cool for the use case of someone who does who's never done this before and wants to get started quick. But if I want to do something more specific, like let's say uh, or you know, we're, I'm hosting a stream and I want you to be a guest yeah. and have your HD video feed inside of my OBS instance... That is incredibly difficult to do right now. 
the way most streamers do it is they'll open up something like Discord or Zoom. They'll join a phone call there. They'll actually have a separate webcam setup because Windows doesn't like you to use one camera on more than one device. So they'll have two webcams, one for their stream, one crappier one for their video calls. They'll do a call on Discord and then they'll use OBS to screen capture the piece of that call they want to embed in their video. And then if like Discord does something, they get a notification, the window moves slightly, the capture gets all screwed up and the video feed as a result gets screwed up too. There's no easy way for me to embed another person's video feed into my stream. This is just one example of the nearly infinite set of problems that live creators run into due to weaknesses of the tools. But this is one I care a lot about and actually have worked solutions into that I'm proud of where my video call service round works a lot like Zoom or even more so like Google Meet, where you send somebody a link, they join, you approve them, they're in the call. But this will also generate a unique URL that you can embed in OBS directly to have their HD video feed as an object in OBS that you're able to move at filters, layers, and do as you please with. <laughs> so this opens up a ton of possibilities. Yeah, this is, um, I mean, this is the, the the exact system that I, what, a year and a half ago, starting COVID, we started doing some streams from the GitHub stream. Uh, we ended up figuring out how to do this with Zoom uh, by what you just ex- explained, uh, cropping the window to only have the guest uh, video and then getting that into OBS and then it sort of almost works. Um, and then we have like the now before it used to be like a plug in, you had to do some like side loading stuff going on. Uh, but now you have virtual cams, which my limit for virtual cams to get into zoom, to share my, my, my OBS is that it takes up way more resources, especially when you're doing the virtual cam and streaming to Twitch. So your solution sounds great. Uh, I, I guess I could summarize with that. And uh, I am looking forward to yeah, alpha, beta, whatever whatever release you're on right now. Because at the moment, we've we've migrated to OBS Ninja, but that still has a little bit of limitations and folks are a little confused uh, when we throw them a, a Ninja link. Yeah, OBS Ninja is a really awesome piece of software, but I, I think it's solving the problem from the opposite side where it's saying... OBS is great, but it's hard to run locally. What if we put that in the server? Whereas my solution is more each of these specific, how do I put it? Each of these different pieces is, and I entirely lost the thought, sorry. Yeah, well, it's the um, the, the fact that you could join a call and have separate video output that you could add that yes. unique URL into OBS. That's exactly what I need. Because like Discord, we're solving the great. input side, not the output side. That's how yes. I put it. Yes, because Discord, Discord is great, um, but there is some limitations. Like if you do leave the channel to go chat, like for example, uh, I do Discord video, and we'll have a chat channel to go along with the video, so that way people in the Discord room can talk. So if I click off the video chat, it it, it minimizes the video, but I can go chat with other folks. And so now I have to do like this sort of dual pull up my phone to do the chat on Discord, but then on my windows that have cropped perfectly, don't touch it. Yep. I've seen this way too often. And usually you end up with three monitors all doing different things. One that's fully locked just so you can capture from it. And yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff to solve these problems. And even then, if one person you don't expect joins the call, now you have to redo your overlay, move all the nameplates around and pray that something doesn't break in the process. Yeah, very, very, very true. So uh, your approach, are, are you able to talk a little more about the 
I guess is that approach um, round? Is that what we're talking about right now, or do you, yep. is this something different? Okay. Nope, this is round. Uh, I am more than happy to go fully into detail on the tech. It is beautifully simple, and I'm really proud of it. If I was to see three people here try and clone exactly what I've built, I'd be pumped, not upset. So. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, for folks who are interested in asking questions, we definitely crossed a halfway point. So if you want to request, raise your hand, uh, throw an emoji. Uh, you don't, I could bump you up to ask questions, but I guess I will ask all the questions for now, uh, which is, um, yeah, explain the approach uh, with Round and how you sort of made this work. Yeah, of course. So something I've learned over the years is the simpler you can boil your problem down to an issue of data between, or of a pipe between your data and your users, the simpler your solution space can be. I generally try to make the smallest surface area possible that is inclusive of the the problem and the solutions as they're needed. So the, the general technical stack here is, is as close to zero infra as I could get. I am personally hosting no boxes for this service whatsoever. The flow of data is a database instance that's being hosted at this point by PlanetScale. I've swapped it a few times, but I'm pretty happy with PlanetScale right now. Nice. I have a bunch of lambdas that get stubbed out through Vercel and a Next.js app that does that stubbing. And that creates a client that connects or that gets data and makes changes to database directly through the APIs as defined through Next.js. So the result is I have a database, a Lambda that serves a bunch of HTML as well as JavaScript and uh, API endpoints, and that creates a client that users consume directly. As for the video feed itself, I'm currently using Agora.io as the video service provider with a couple like niceties I've added on top. And the result there is they are hosting the turn servers and all the WebRTC info necessary to maintain good connection there. And all I have to do is authenticate the user when they join, again, through that Lambda. So my surface area is the connection URL to my databases, my very minimal Next.js TypeScript code base, and then my users. And in order for me to make a change, like let's say I want to change the name of a field on one of my database models, I can update that in Prisma. That updates the type definition in TypeScript for for my Prisma client. I consume that in my Next.js app using a a library called TRPC to define an API and consume it without any middleware that is also type safe. So if I'm rendering against this field in my front end and I change the name of it, I'll get a type error on my front end that I change the name of a field in my database model because it's inherited all the way up to the client. Nice. So for as for the user experience, like, it, am I expected to like clone a repo, or am I signing up for rounding? You're providing me some oh. sort of dashboard. Yeah. So if you're a user right now, it is an incredibly simple experience. It feels just like uh, Google Meet. If you have right now, I would assume that your experience is you're a guest on somebody else's show that's already in the group. So. I, let's say I'm hosting a show and you want to join. I send you a link to round.t3.gg slash call slash Theo. It asks you to sign in with your Twitch, your Twitter, or your YouTube account. You sign in with, with, with whichever you prefer. You have your little video camera preview feed come up. It has a little request to join button. And then when you request, I as the host will see in my call that Dougie requested to join. It shows your Twitter account if that's what you signed in with. I can click and see, oh, this is actually Dougie from Twitter. I know who this is confidently. 
and then I approve. And now you're in the call just like a Google Meet. At that point, every member of the call has a unique URL that's generated for their dedicated embed, at which point I can copy that feed URL and drop that in OBS as a new browser source. And now I have a dedicated window that's just your video feed in there directly. I also have a stream mode view in the browser. So if you just want to do the old school capture from the browser, you can do that as well. It'll even embed nameplates underneath each person's video feed using their like handle from whatever platform they signed in with. So you'd see that I'm at t3.gg on Twitter. We'd see your Twitter handle and we know who's who all without having to create an overlay. So you have those two options. You can do it the manual way where you embed everything in OBS via browser sources and have that full granular control or you can still just capture the window and have a better experience than you would have otherwise. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, if folks want to screen share like a, a window as part of this uh, round call? I just added screen sharing. It's in super early access. I've only enabled it in a few rooms. I need to do some UI tidy up because it just it looks a little ugly. But the video yeah. uh, sharing quality is phenomenal. And the few people who have been using it have been really liking the use case in particular because screen shares are also embeddable. So I could embed your screen share in my stream. OK, excellent. Yeah, and that's actually pretty powerful for folks who... Uh, that does not happen very often for myself, but uh, I know it's common for two streamers to get on their own channels and hit live. Um, so it sounds like each person can have separate video of their guest on stream as they chat separately. Correct. Yeah. The other really compelling use case that I've been told a lot about, I'll admit, I don't know much because it's not my area, but apparently Dungeons and Dragons is very much in need of something like this in order to have a high quality screen share and multiple assignable video feeds to specific places very much fits within their use case. So I've been finding more random things like that. Also, VTubing, for example, they have very strong like requirements around chroma keying and the ability to key out a background color so they could have pseudo transparency and make it look like two VTubers are in the same space. So by giving them the ability to embed a high quality screen share or other feed directly, they're able to have a high enough quality feed to do transparency and have a an HD pseudo transparent result. Like if you see the tweet that uh, B-Dougie uh, are embedded here the video that's at the beginning of that preview is two streamers one of which is remote being captured through uh round and having their background color keyed out you can't even tell which one of them is native and which one of them is remote due to the quality difference wow that's amazing uh, i am actually really like i originally had you come in the conversation just like re reiterate folks um theo coming from a a background of doing some extreme sports uh got injured learned how to code through minecraft eventually made it to amazon and then eventually twitch and now working on your own project in the span of is this um from zero to 60 this is my guess uh, about a decade about a decade? Okay, so within 10 yeah. years now working on things. But I guess the one thing to really point out is the fact that you were able to gain a lot of knowledge uh, from working at Twitch and working on some of these problems. Um, and I think you're in a very interesting position to, to solve this too as well. Because like, I, I have to say right now, that what you're explaining is it's a use case that I would be using literally this Friday on stream. Uh, I don't know if I, I can get um, prepared and test that out by Friday. Um but yeah, I would totally use that on the on the GitHub stream as we have a guest to talk about their open source projects every Friday, Open Source Friday, folks. Plug. Um, 
but the, the, the amount of hoops we have to jump through. We've got it down that the streamline with the Zoom embedding inside of my OBS, but it's not perfect. And uh, this sounds closer to perfect for sure. I would love to get you testing as soon as possible. I yeah. can go a little more in depth. I definitely want to keep on topic of the, like, how did I get here and be as useful to other developers as possible there. I do have some thoughts. I know you really liked my quote before, and I definitely want to emphasize that the way you get better at programming isn't by like sitting in front of your screen and like staring at books and read me's all day. It's by making mistakes. And this yeah. is the thing I got from skateboarding that was super beneficial. Like you don't learn a skateboard trick by watching YouTube videos all day. You learn a skateboard trick by going outside and hitting the ground over and over again until you eventually ride away. The thing I love about software is how much cheaper and like less risky it is to make yeah. those types of mistakes. Like I can screw up my entire code base a thousand times in a row and all I got out of it, or in like the only thing that came from it is a bunch of new stuff I learned. I don't get injured or like, there, there's obviously the ego hit, but generally speaking, I really dig it. Like I love the feeling of screwing up as a software engineer because it means I got better. And if you learn to take that mindset of, oh, I don't know this, but I can figure it out now. Or when you make a mistake, it's, oh, that's one less thing I have to worry about in the future. And you really push that to its limit. You could do some awesome stuff. Yeah, that is that is 100% right, right on the money as well. Because I think a lot of times we'll, we can get in like a space where like, like you when you made the switch to React and TypeScript, like a lot of folks make that switch with like years or even months of, of uh, research and trying to figure out is this the right decision or should I learn JavaScript first? Should I run Python first? Should I learn? And I think the answer is really to start building something and having, having an idea like Chrome Tana is a good like playground. Even if you built the thing and it never worked, you still learned how to not build something in the future or basically where to make the wrong turns. Uh, because if you were to attempt to build Chrome Tana like the second time, I bet you if you, if you went to build that the second time today, uh, I bet it'd be quite different in the approach, even code-wise. Uh, but you have so much like under your belt of knowledge from that the first time. Fun fact on that one, actually, I got really close to finishing a rewrite of Chrome Tana in TypeScript in Preact. It had two bugs when I did a beta test, and I've been too lazy to fix them. It's been sitting for a year. If anybody wants their Hacktoberfest contribution and wants it to ship to over a million people, <laughs> the OBR slash Chrome Tana on GitHub is currently desperate for someone to fix those two or three remaining bugs, and I'm way too lazy to do it. So. Wow, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find that and I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet that out because um, I know some folks sitting here right now who are trying to get some backend experience and like also transitioning from other places to into tech could definitely use that sort of like that one up and get yeah it's a super front end thing for what it's worth it is it is not only front end it is Google Chrome extension front end which makes it very special and annoying but uh, it is very close to ready I just have to fix a regex or two I think and it should be good to ship so it would be a fun first contribution even if your contribution is just like making sure it works maybe fixing a typo or two and shipping I would love the help and the additional confidence from another developer of pretty much any level so yeah feel free to give that a look. Yeah, and I got one another question for you too as well because we kind of skipped directly to T3 tools. But um, mm -hmm. at what point did you have the confidence to to go and work on something like this? I that's a good question. That came in a few parts for me. So throughout my time at Twitch, I got a lot of feedback along the lines of your energy makes me happy to still be here from a lot of like the original like founding team type people at Twitch that I noticed were leaving like one at a time. 
and slowly that feedback transitioned from you're reminding me why I'm here to, I don't know if you still fit here anymore. And I had to really think it through because I had never done the startup. Like I'd never been at a smaller company. I kind of went straight from college to Twitch and it took a lot of convincing. Eventually I found, or I, uh, it was when I was on the creator team at Twitch, I was getting disappointed at how much work it was to get started is the best I can phrase it. Like when there were things that were obvious wins for our users, the amount of energy it took to get them considered was so great. And the amount of energy it would take to get them done was so little that I was getting increasingly frustrated and eventually just said, screw it. I can do this myself. I worked at a startup, uh, TTFM labs for a bit. And through there, learned quickly that just, just from the way the CEO ran the company, that clearly this isn't that hard if they could get this far with this little understanding of the space. And at the same time, I was working on Round as a side project just to like, see, I was a big consumer of multi-person content on Twitch and was just curious if I could make something better for it. So I was exploring that space casually. Showed it to a couple friends who ended up immediately loving it and wanting to use it for all of their streams. At which point I realized, wow, the side project has more users than the company I'm working for. My tech bills are nothing, and I'm really confident in this stack. I think I can do this. I also started interviewing at other startups to see what my next gig would be. And I, I was really lucky actually to meet Jake at Railway, uh, Railway.app, their uh, new like modern Heroku type thing. And he really wanted me at the company, but also saw what I was building and his confidence that I could actually do this, as well as the confidence I got seeing someone, on, to be frank, who looked like me, talked like me, thought like me, and was the back end equivalent of what I want to be for like front end and consumer stuff. And realizing he could succeed running a company with the same mindset as me was just so enticing that I had to give it a go myself. So I just brought on my first two contractors. I am hopefully going to bring on my first full-timer by the end of next week. I am very close to securing some significant investments. We have a number of paying customers already. And yeah, the things are going well. I'm actually a CEO running a company now. And it's been less than a year since I quit my job at Twitch. It's crazy how quick that happens. I, I, I quit on a whim thinking that I could maybe be part of the startup world. And less than nine months later, I'm running a company of my own. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Because like everything everything you're saying in your background with Twitch and what you're working on today, like I, I know folks, it sounds like you're already, you're already good on that front. But yeah, I know folks that would love to chat with you about uh, future investment and, and conversations because uh, you're, you're definitely scratching an itch right now as more and more folks as we continue to have remote events, remote streams, uh, like live streaming is it's definitely a thing that's not going away. Um, and it's definitely a space that's, that's going to be booming in the next couple of years, uh, with COVID or without COVID. Like, I think people have got the taste of what's possible in live streaming. Um, so I can only see this, this space exploding even further. Before we wind down, I yeah, do have my one last pro tip that this will probably help you guys out a bit too, over on the GitHub side. I credit my early success and the speed at which I got good to a lot of things, but one in particular, I think this is the, the luckiest thing I stumbled into as a developer. I learned Git before I wrote my first line of code. And I think that gave me the confidence to learn the way I did early on, where 
what, when I wrote my first line of code, I knew how to undo it. I knew how to like store it, stash it, make it go away and make it come back confidently. And that confidence gave me the, the freedom to learn in the way I wanted to and to screw up the ways I needed to. And my like core philosophy that I've developed from this is the idea of building safety nets. I consider it my responsibility now as like a more principal engineer to build the safety nets that junior devs need to learn and fail with confidence and know they can get back up and learn from that mistake. So if you take anything from this and you don't know Git already, go learn enough Git to feel confident that you won't lose your code ever again. That confidence will make it so much easier to learn. Wow, what a powerful conversation and what a powerful point to actually end on. Um, what I find more and more is that information is free and folks are freely w willing to give it out. Now, if you put yourself in the right place by <laughs> intent joining these Twitter spaces, asking questions, following following folks, um, there's a lot of trajectory, a lot of space for you to grow in your career. And I'm hoping that this, this podcast will be that for you. And if you have the time, please check out Theo's uh, project, which is T3 Tools Round. If you're a Twitch streamer, uh, definitely worth giving it a try. Sign up for the waiting list. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.